Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, I'm a cop, LAPD. How about a little team spirit, huh? Well, I was in LA once. Hated it. Well, I can understand. I don't like it much. Hey, that's a plastic bender up there. Take it easy. I'm doing my job. Cut me some slack, will you? Look, I used to be a cop in New York City. I only moved to LA because my wife took a job there. Come on, what do you say? Here we are, Washington, D.C., the heart of democracy. One hand washes the other. Bring the bags over here. Come on, man, it's Christmas. So ask Santa Claus to give you another car. Merry Christmas, pal. I mean, can we just, before we get to Judd's Keys and Action Movie Rewind, can we just tip our caps to 30 seconds of amazing scene-setting dialogue there? Yes. Die Hard 2. Yes, it's in my notes. All right, guys. <laughs> uh, we got 30 seconds to tell the audience that we're in L.A. You're an L.A. cop now. Actually, you're in D.C. You're an L.A. cop, and it's Christmas. All right, go. Let's and you're do from this. New York. <laughs> and you're from New York. And, you're, Th- and your mother-in-law's car is being towed. <laughs> and you're still with your wife. 30 seconds. <laughs> cram it all in. Uh, Federated Insurance is powering this episode of Mackie and Judd, and they've been helping to power business owners behind the scenes, frontline protection and peace of mind for over 100 years. You can follow Federated on Twitter at Federated INS, where you'll find fresh, relevant risk management content on a variety of topics. So, again, FederatedInsurance.com is your place to go for trusted resources and to find out uh, just every all the industries they protect and everything they can do for your business. At Federated Insurance, it's always our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. My dream is uh, to be a Hall of Famer and uh, be being one of the best receivers at, at this position. And um. I mean, I just got a long way to go. Uh, this is my first year, first couple games of my career. So I uh, just got to keep um, learning um, and just keep buying into the system and uh, just going out there playing my best ball uh, each Sunday. Wow. Justin Jefferson with the Hall of Fame talk there. Is that is that preposterous halfway through his first season? Or, or have you have you got – because I've, I've seen enough – in the first half of the season with Justin Jefferson to say, you know what? It's not really absurd that he could be, if he stays healthy, on a trajectory to be one of the best wide receivers for the next 10 years. He's really good right now. I need to see so much yeah. more. And can he stay healthy? And plus, can he get the right quarterback? All good things. Can he get the right quarterback long term? I saw a couple of them last night on Thursday Night Football that would look real nice yeah. throwing to Justin Jefferson. Do you, li- Holy do you like cow. how the future of this league looks? Because oh, the man. future of this league, it's it's like you've got teams like the Bears uh, playing um, 
a National Football League video game circa 1997. And then, like, the Cardinals and Seahawks are have delved into 2020. Do you like how that looks? Yeah, you get, like, like the, the, the Cardinals are playing, like, PlayStation 5. Yeah. And the Bears are playing, like, Super Nintendo, NFL Blitz the or something. The Bears are playing a game from, I, my, yes, from yeah. my teenage years yeah. is what it looks like. So uh, Vikings and Cowboys this weekend. Let's get right into it because we have a, we have a lot of things to cover between Judd's Keys, a rap with Roycey, and our first our first sequel in that like the the first time we've reviewed two movies in the same series, mm-hmm. Die Hard Two, action movie rewind. But how's Judd's Keys doing after three straight Vikings victories? Oh, is he feeling good? Keys is very 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 psyched. Keys is very psyched. Keys Keys is predicting seven and five. Uh, after the three-game homestand, which includes what uh, the Cowboys, the Panthers, and, and Jags, who are combined six and twenty-two, he's is projecting a playoff berth. Whoa, he's is projecting a lot of things. He's is counting a lot of things. Count the votes. Count the votes. And Keys is saying he's projecting. He's projecting the Vikings are going to be in the playoffs, right? Whoa. He got so he he had a couple drinks last night, nice, and projected a first round playoff win, which I then had to slow him down. I said, Keys, you absolutely have to stop right now. I'm, Just I'm stop. here for these things, but it's yeah. I mean, he is. We found out last night too because uh, Arizona and Seattle both went into that game six and three. And with Seattle winning, moving to seven and three, and Arizona losing, dropping to six and four, if the Vikings win, they'll be one game behind Arizona, and that's the team that right. you're going to want to root for to fall out of the playoffs, right? right. If you're if you're if there if there's only seven playoff teams, and there could still be eight if a game gets canceled, mm-hmm. if there's only seven, Arizona looks to be the team that could easily drop out, which would disappoint me greatly because I do like them. I actually, you know what? Flat out, as a football fan, if you told me final seed. Cardinals or Vikings, it's not close. You want the Cardinals? I want the Cardinals 100. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if you're if you're a football fan, now I get it. I get it. If you love your Vikings, that's fine. But if you are just flat out a, a couch a couch sitting, I love the playoffs football fan. You want Kyler in there? Are you telling me that you're going, oh, man, the Vikings? I mean, I, ooh, I don't know, man. Playoff, I want Kyler playoff, Murray. Playoff Kirk. I need, I, need, I need to see if playoff Kirk can rekindle what he did against the Saints last I want, year. I want... DeAndre Hopkins, I want Buda Baker, I want Kyler. I mean, think about that team. That's a fun team. Yeah, it is a super fun team. I mean, let's like, you know, I, I would still rather watch the Vikings in the playoffs. But I, I, your your point is well taken, and that Kyler Murray is okay. But if you were if you weren't in this town, if you were in Chicago, it's not close, right? I mean, if I'm in if I'm in Chicago, I probably just stop watching football the rest of the no, day. You're still, no, you're still watching. No, no. See, that's the that's. The, I've switched to baseball no, or basketball. This is the great thing about the National Football League and the array, the differences in teams and QBs. Now, no, if you're in Chicago, <laughs> you quit watching the Bears. But you're telling me that you're not watching Russ and Kyler and Joe Burrow. I mean, yeah. these quarterbacks are fun. You're I, not done with the sport at all. I what watched, you're done with is the old version of the sport that these teams are playing. I mean, I watched, like, that game last night, I watched that for three hours with just pure envy, just thinking, my God. That's my point. Imagine if you had all these amazing, uh, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Irv Smith running around as this freakishly athletic tight end and Dalvin Cook, and then Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson keeping plays oh. alive. Hey, oh, my God, Justin, you know, Play has broken down. Just go deep. I'm going to run away from this defensive end. Keep the play alive for three seconds and throw you a bomb. Like, oh, it's the biggest injected into my veins at some point. The two biggest change, changes in sports, I think, 
in the last 20 years. Like the and shifts that are good are very, very simple to me. Point guard and quarterback play. And I think they're similar. I really do. Like you think about the point guard, the point guard in my youth into probably the nineties was what? Jeff Hornacek. Dude brings ball actually, down he was court. A shooting guard, actually. But dude brings ball down court, right? Stockton. But like like and he could super short shorts. And you Mark are price. And did you not distribute? You just distributed. That's what you did. And 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 you and I feel like your passes, Mark if you Price, if, if you watch like Mark Price and you watch uh, like John Stockton, the the ball looked like it was fifty pounds. Like they're using all their might to just do like a chest pass they're to the corner. You know? around. Yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, anyways, Judd's keys, like Judd's keys to a Vikings yeah, victory keys. over right. the Dallas keys, Cowboys. Come here. come here, give me these. Judd's keys to the Vikings winning four straight games. All full of Summit. Oh, he gave me five. Wow, five keys. Five uh, keys see, eh? he's all excited. See, this is this is BS because he he went down to four when the team was bad, and he swore that it wasn't because the team was bad, but it was. And now he's up to five because he's all excited. I hate false excitement. All right, key number five. Oh, I I get what you did here. Key number five, an addendum key. <clears throat> this is just a hackney headline, by the way. So I'm going to prepare you for this. Not better than Ezra. Oh my god. Oh man. Wow. The Vikings wow. the Vikings have uh, they practice Wednesday and Thursday without right guard and rookie standouts way too strong but solid rookie right guard Ezra Cleveland, all right? He has an ankle injury. Now, I think he's going to play personally, but Keys is scared that he's not going to play. And if he does not play, no, you are not going to be subjected again to Drew Samia, who I think is still on the COVID list, or at least he was last Monday night. Yeah, I'm desperately wanting Darn. him to stay on the COVID list. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what this is what you brought on. <laughs> Brett Jones will start, who's gone from the practice squad. Uh, in, in fact, the Vikings got him from the Giants a couple of years ago to play center at mm. the time, and he Boy, was. A seems like it's there. been a lifetime. Yeah. Since Brett Jones played a game for the Vikings, that's it for that one. Okay, I'm going to throw that one across the room. All right, that was key. That was key five. Uh, That key was really good. Thank God I don't even know the better than Ezra catalog. So you've lost me completely now, which is actually very good. Yeah, you're definitely uh, crazy lucky that you don't know the catalog. Dallas can't stop the run, so I still have faith that even if Brett Jones does start, that Cook will be able to run the ball. But it would make a difference, and Cleveland's played well to his credit. All right, we're done with that one. Thanks, Keys. Key number four. We move into the we move into the ordinary heart of the Keys lineup. Don't let them up. The Cowboys are. Let me count the ways about how horse bleep these Cowboys are. Okay, they're coming off a bye. They are two and seven. They had lost four consecutive games going into their bye. And here's the stat that I think is the most telling. They are a minus 86, minus 86. For comparison's sake, the Vikings are a minus 11 in point differential. That is the second worst in the National Football League to the Oof. New York Jets, who are, Oof. who are, and I want to say this slowly because this is proof that the Jets are not playing a professional sport right now. <laughs> the Cowboys are minus 86. The Jets are the worst, minus 147. Oof. Not that's, even possible. It's aggressive. So they're they're on pace to be like close to minus three hundred on the season. Yes, sir. Which what's the mass? So they're getting outscored by almost what, like eighteen points a game or something? The Jets. It is. <laughs> it is awful. Uh so the the uh, as I said before, the Cowboys are expected to get Andy Dalton back at quarterback. 
uh, after he missed time because of a concussion. Uh, Dallas, fourth in the league in passing yards, is not bad, but you need to. So defensively, the key is going to be to jump on the Cowboys early because I think that there will be in that offense a lot of potential give up, but you got to do it early. The bad news for the Cowboys, too, is they cannot tackle any opposing running backs. So this is your formula. true. Key number three, this is going to repeat itself for a second consecutive week, but Keys is going to continue to bring this one back until the problem is solved or until the coach is fired. And I don't mean the head coach. Nothing special part two. All right. The special teams for the Vikings has spent two games bumbling and fumbling its way around the field. Two weeks ago against the Lions, two blocked punts. One blocked punt is bad, but you're, you're like, okay, it's a blocked punt. But two blocked punts you actually have to work at. Yeah, A bad snap on the extra point in Chicago against a good team probably cost the Vikings that win. So my, my quick question would be, so Austin Cutting is the one that, that rolled, rolled the ground ball back on that snap, right? Yep. I am not trying to exonerate a special teams coach here who doesn't deserve it, but... Are there some things that are just like out of the coach's control? Like if Austin Cutting loses focus for a second and rolls a, a snap back there, do you hold the coach accountable for that? Well, that's the issue is no. If it was just one problem in that game, I probably wouldn't. I'd pr- probably say that I believe the uh, snapper was coming off the COVID list. Cutting was. So he probably, you know, didn't feel well in what? the week, didn't get practice time. Well, he couldn't. Didn't, I, you know, I don't think he was, like, knocked on his head. He, wouldn't, he went to play it if he had felt sick. Like, I don't know. Right? I, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if we took that one thing, right? So let's, let's say we take the one thing and we're like, all right, bad long snap, not the coach's fault. What was the responsibility of special teams coordinator Marwin Malouf was the 104-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Cordero Patterson and not one but two long punt returns by the Bears. So I think collectively. So yeah. yeah, so I think we can take, you know, one block punt. Okay, that's not good, but it's one block punt. One bad long snap. That hurts you potentially, but it's not necessarily the coach's fault. But when we put it all together in the special teams ineptitude stew, that becomes a problem. That's fair. Totally fair. Yep. On the verge of maybe losing his job. Marwin Just in time for the holidays. Getting, getting yelled at by Zim. If your choice was to have Zim undress you on the sideline verbally or just be immediately fired, which one do you take? <laughs> uh, I would rather just be immediately fired, probably. Just spare me. I don't do well with people yelling at me. Yeah, spare, wouldn't, spare military the, wouldn't be good for me. Spare the tongue lashing. Like you don't yeah. do, do well, you get mad back or you cower? No, I, I cower. <laughs> <laughs> Listen here, maggot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jail. Like I, I, I prefer jail. Don't yell at me. All right. Key number two as we work our way up in keys to a Vikings win over the Cowboys on Sunday. Oh, okay. Now the headlines are getting a little bit better. Chef's delight. The Vikings are going to be facing a defense, uh, to, uh, to Phil's point before, they can't tackle. Uh, they've given up an NFL worst 32.2 points per game. That's right. They are last, they're behind the New York Jets in terms of points given up per game. They are second to last in the league in rushing defense, giving up 157 yards per game. And Dalvin Cook has more than 100 yards from scrimmage in all three games since the Vikings bye. Um, this is a, this is a stew for, what Dalvin Cook? Uh, let's say twenty-five carries, four reset. You know, approximately thirty touches, right? Yeah. 
and um, another monster, monster day. And I don't think the Cowboys, to what we were talking about before, can stop it. Opposing running backs, or I should say opposing teams, so it's not always just one guy. For the Vikings, it's usually just one guy. But are averaging 157 yards and 5 yards per carry every game and have scored uh, more than a touchdown per game. So, like, yeah, like Dalvin Cook should continue the party here for sure. But key number one is not Chef's Delight. Key number one is, and this is going to be singular, so I'm changing the song title, The Kid Is All Right. Do you guys remember? Great song. Yes, a fantastic song. Do you guys remember when Randy Moss would play teams that passed on him in the draft, and especially the Cowboys, Mm -hmm. who back then, had, I believe that Jerry Jones had told Moss he was going to draft him, but he would punish the Cowboys like he was intent on doing it. Well, if uh, Justin Jefferson is indeed Randy Moss 2.0, the Dallas Cowboys took a pretty good receiver, C.D. Lamb, five spots ahead of Jefferson, who mm-hmm. was taken number 22 in the first round. Um, if I'm the Vikings, I think I use this opportunity for a little bit of Moss redo to find out just how much Justin Jefferson would like to stick it to a Cowboys defense That is not very good to start with. This, to me, seems like a real good opportunity. I'm not saying that he's got to get a ton of targets, but I am saying I could see uh, unleashing some impactful nine-route passes to Justin Jefferson and telling him it's a 3 o'clock game. A lot of people are probably going to see this game potentially. I don't know, but tell him that. And you got a chance to show a team that that thought C.D. Lamb, who's good, was better than you. Go show them. I think there probably is a little bit of that. And the, and as an assistant coach or even a head coach or a coordinator, I think you'd be missing an opportunity not to say, listen, Justin, before we board the plane here. Actually, it's they're not going to be on a plane. Right? It's a home before game we board the bus, yeah, go to the hotel. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they passed on you for CD Lamb. And also, four or five other teams passed on you, too, I believe. Or three, whatever it was. Four for wide receivers. So uh, go stick it to him. I think I think you're onto something here. I actually have a write that down prediction from oh. several months back that has him scoring three touchdowns in this game. Okay. So I'm rooting you for really? your. Oh, okay. I didn't remember that when I came up with that. All right. Yep. So that is that is key number one. The kid is indeed all right. Those are Judd's five keys to a Vikings victory over the Dallas Cowboys. It would be their fourth consecutive victory with two more home games in the bag uh, on this stretch here. And you can find a couple quick plugs before we get into Action Movie Rewind. Purple Daily, seven days a week during the season. Uh, you guys have helped us over the last couple of months reach new download records. I think September and October mm-hmm. were both just like monster record numbers for us. So thank you guys for helping us. Uh, whether you listen to Purple Daily, Apple, Spotify, com, or whether you watch it on YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. And uh, yesterday we had... I believe the biggest episode of Mackie and Judd ever, our Timberwolves draft recap episode, uh, when you combine YouTube and when you combine uh, podcast over the last 24 hours, I believe it's one. It's, it's definitely the most listened to episode of the year so far. Nice. So, right. so you guys, you. Uh, thanks for supporting Mackie and Judd, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. You can also find us on Score North Radio from 5 to 6 p.m. every single day. Um, and then the second YouTube channel we launched is youtube.com slash scorenorthmn. So hit us up, give us a subscribe there, and you can see our ugly radio faces and gray beards and Declan's attempt to grow beards. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I shaved this morning. Really, really. Buzzes off. 
bad stash, man. Like that, let peach fuzz grow a thing. Me? Yeah, it's a bad stash. Well, I, I, I can't grow. Sorry, I can't grow facial hair. It's, it's, it's. it's oh no, I just take the stash off altogether. I, 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 I the lose stash the whole is gone thing. though. Like I shaved off the stash. All right, now I thought I saw a little bit there on that. I, there's a little stubble. I have a little <laughs> Norelco that I like to use. You know, mm. it works fine. Okay. Are you okay. Are you guys ready for this? Let's do it. A little action movie rewind. Oh, baby, oh. I was never gonna see you again. That's what I thought about you. Oh, I love you so much. They told me there were terrorists at the airport. Yeah, I heard that too. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, John, why does this keep happening to us? Let's go home. Nice guess, asshole. I'm a cop. That was a bad guy. Where's your ID? On its way to Cleveland? Welcome to the party, pal! Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... It's that simple. I just shut the area down. <laughs> Shit. And I got everybody from the Shriners Convention to the goddamn Boy Scouts traipsing through here. I got lost kids, lost dogs, not now, later. I got international diplomats. I got a reindeer flying in here from the petting zoo. But John McClane, he's got a little problem. Hell, let's shut down the whole airport. Now, what do you think they're going to say upstairs when I tell them that? Why don't you pick up the phone and find out? Because I don't need full forensics to tell me all this was was some punk stealing luggage luggage that punk pulled a glock 7 on me you know what that is it's a porcelain gun made in germany doesn't show up on your airport x-ray machines here and it costs more than you making a month you'd be surprised what i'm making a month (laughs) (laughs) what a great exchange all right action movie rewind every friday here i'm mackie and judd we do deep dives into classic and corny action movies entirely two deep dives probably uh, and this week, so we've done we've done sequels before. We did Rambo three, we've done Rocky four, but we haven't done a second movie in the same series. Mm-hmm. We did Die Hard several months back. I believe that was the first time Declan had ever seen Die Hard. Correct. And Judd, you had never seen it straight through, or had you seen it? Well, I me. think I had seen it a long time ago, maybe. Okay, so you were kind of new to, but like I had never watched it like uh-huh. I watched it that time. Maybe. Like I broke it down this time. And so now we're going to do a dive into Die Hard 2, 1990, two years after the original came out. I'm guessing the original one came out and they were like, we got to do this again. Right. This is awesome. Here's the summary. A year after his heroics in Los Angeles, Detective John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is mixed up in another terrorist plot, this time at Washington Dulles International Airport, where he's waiting for his wife to land on a flight. That same night, South American politico and drug profiteer Ramon Esperanza (laughs) is arriving into U.S. custody. McLean takes action when a treasonous ex-colonel seizes control of the airport, threatening to crash every inbound flight unless Esperanza is freed. 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. $70 million budget turned into $240 million at the box office. And I believe this movie generated more profit than the original Die Hard. Correct. So this is one of the most successful sequels of all time. Bruce Willis. We had a cameo again by Carl Winslow, Reginald Vell Johnson, career TV cop. Oh, yeah. And, I actually uh, missed him. What do you mean? 
I wanted more of him. Oh, I oh. thought you, yeah. I know. Yeah, he made, he was eating Twinkies he, for like good. five minutes. And yeah, I know, I know. Sending faxes. But I liked him. And uh, Dennis Franz. Oh, the best. Diving into his, I, actually, I can't remember if he had played cops before this, but this was one of his mm-hmm. high profile Play, Playing a complete doofus. Yep. Oh, God. And then there was a bunch of other. Uh, no Sipowitz right there, boys. No Sipowitz. No, no, that was not Sipowitz. No Sipowitz. Bunch of other characters you've recognized from other movies here, but let's just get right into it. Judd Zolgad, we'll go around the room here. What was your key takeaway from Die Hard 2? Oh, I've got a lot, but uh, my key takeaway was it was very clear that the people that did Die Hard 2 had heard enough about Die Hard is not a Christmas film because there's no snow and it's in California, right? They were going to make damn sure that you knew, despite the fact it was released on July 4th, 1990, that you knew this was a damn Christmas film because it never stopped snowing. Like, everything they did was, it's cold, you see? There's a tree, Christmas tree, you see? Um, that was my biggest takeaway was there was going to be be no confusion about the fact that if nothing else, it was a wintertime film that, that for, in fact, I believe that Die Hard, if I'm not mistaken, the original is released on July 1st of 88. Yeah. And this was released flat out on the 4th of July, 1990. But they were going to hammer home the point that they were making a damn Christmas movie and you were going to get it. Okay. I was going to save this question for later, but since you brought it up. What is more of a Christmas movie, Die Hard the original or Die Hard 2? So Die Hard the original, so both of these take place on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Die Hard the original is a Christmas party. Yep. He's flying in to a Christmas party yep. to hang out with his sort of like his wife, but they're sort of separated. It's right? a seasonal traveling for Christmas. Yep. Mm-hmm. Die Hard 2 also takes place on Christmas Eve. Both included Christmas music at the end, you know, the the end credits, if I remember correctly, for Die Hard 1. Um, But in this case, you had snow. So Christmas Eve, you had had snow. Constant snow. It never stopped snowing. It was great. I mean, it was completely fake, but it never stopped snowing. I think you can make a case that this is, and plus, they were, it was holiday travel. They were going to hang out with, Mm -hmm. uh, with Holly's parents and the kids, right? I think you can make a case that because of the snow, Die Hard 2 is actually more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard 1. Mm. Oh, most definitely. But here's what I liked. Die Hard 2 showed that they were firmly in on the entire joke. Like the oh. joke like the joke the joke was we are releasing essentially a series of action thriller Christmas films in July continually. So did, did they release all these movies? Because there's like five diehards. I don't know, but I just, lo- I just, this one to me was hilarious because it became very clear that they're like, yeah, it's July 4th, but it's really a Christmas film this time. So it's, <laughs> oh, so to me, it became that the gag itself was going to be pulled off by them. Yeah. So I don't really care. I just thought it was the fact that it wouldn't stop snowing ever. Like the whole film, it's just <laughs> snowing. Uh, I thought was also like hilarious. the amount of snow we're talking about definitely would have shut down the airport. Yeah. Right. Oh, hundred percent. Definitely shut down yes. the airport. Well, and and it never like like when when McLean kept going outside, it like didn't accumulate. Like he was never by by the end of that film, it would have been snowdrifts, mm-hmm. like huge, right? Yeah. They, this is where they need like. They need like a Minnesota cinematographer to come in and like we need like a snow coordinator to come in and say, guys, it's been snowing like this for six hours. Well, and they here. did like, have some because the snowmobile chase, you know, it, there was definitely, but I just it was like nonstop snowing, blizzard, and yes, you are correct. The airport would have shut down. Okay, that actually, I'm glad you brought up the snowmobile thing here for a second. So Washington D.C. Let's talk about climate for a second. Okay, mm-hmm. 
So I just want to pull this up here, okay? A- average temperatures. <laughs> average temperatures in December, and I'll even include January here, okay? So Washington, D.C., uh, and I get that there can be, like, deviations. We had a record high here two weeks ago, right? We, yeah. It got up to, like, 70-something. Yep. So in December, the record high is, or the average high is 48 degrees in Washington, D.C. Average low is 30. January, because we're getting closer to January in this movie, Average high of 43, average low of 25. So it definitely does snow a little bit. Yeah. But a little bit. Are they like fully prepared when it's snowing that much in Washington, D.C. to land planes? No. Are they going to have like snowmobiles just sitting around? Of course they're not prepared for that. (laughs) The airport would have shut down. That is absolutely correct. Wouldn't this have made more sense if it took place in New York? But then why would they be bringing in in a, uh, a terrorist? Right. Into New York. Actually, you know I don't what? even know why they're bringing him into D.C. I was going to say, yes, you you are correct. I think if, if you would put this at like JFK, I think it would have made more sense. Yeah. Like they obviously didn't care. But yes, I think you're probably right. Declan, what was your main takeaway? A key takeaway is that Bruce Willis is the coolest and most relatable hero in our action movie series. <laughs> like he, I love that he's just hanging out in the airport, drinking a whiskey, smoking a cigarette. Looking like a normal, normal guy. Just a normal dude waiting for his wife to land at the airport. But in reality, he's this badass cop who can somehow infiltrate all areas of the airport, which is supposed to be like one of the more more, more locked down areas that we're ever going to see. And I, I feel like he's just so relatable. Like he's, Freedom. Not yet. <laughs> Supposed to stay in your seat until the plane reaches the terminal. A frequent flyer mileage for you. Who are you? A cop. A cop? Yeah, one of the good guys. You see, you're one of the bad guys, and now that I got your sorry ass, I'm going to trade it for my wife. <laughs> He's great. I feel like that's exactly how Declan would talk if, yeah. he, were, hey. if he were the good guy in this movie. No frequent flyer miles, miles for you. you. <laughs> no Delta Sky miles for you, man. His, di- his dialogue. His dialogue yeah, is great. Now, the, He's great. the one thing that I will defend the film on is for that time, the the lack of security is actually correct. A hundred percent. Like it, it, back yeah, then, totally back is. then you could go to the terminal, basically walk around. Yeah. So so the the uh, breaches in security that we see now actually were possible back then. Yeah, like I'm, not all of them, but a lot of them. I yeah. remember even thinking I was on a family it's trip. You get into. I was on a family trip. We actually went a month before nine eleven in two thousand one. We actually were. In New York City and took pictures like with the World Trade Centers. Like we have these haunting pictures a month before 9-11. And part of our trip, I think we bounced around to some different cities and somehow we had a connecting flight in Cincinnati at one point. And I remember like my stepdad made a comment as we were kind of going through. He's like, feels like we have gone through zero security at all. Like there's, there was just like no protocols, nothing. Yep. And of course, a month later, but even worse back in like the early 90s right. and yeah, they the 80s. They, yeah, it was uh, very possible. And okay, you guys bring up. Actually, my main takeaway from this movie, and there's a million other things we'll get into, because one of you guys just brought up dialogue. Yeah. Bruce Willis's dialogue is is definitely honed in this movie. I would argue that like my key takeaway is that the dialogue for the entire movie is so perfectly like dialed up and cheesy. Every single mo- they're, they're they're definitely forcing f bombs when they don't have to. But <laughs> oh, Dennis Franz is just nothing oh, yeah. but f bombs, right? Every character that comes into this movie, even if it's like a guy who's on his camera for five seconds, 
has to like drop an f bomb and say something forceful, right? Do you guys remember the scene uh, when <laughs> we're getting toward the climax of the movie and everyone's all amped up, and and you had uh, Dick Thornburg in the bathroom of the airplane, and he's calling into his producers, and the producers like, eh, "What are you talking about? There's, there's no one's gone live with this." And he goes, "I'm on the plane," and he tells the producer like, "No, this is all happening." The producer hangs up the phone, turns to some other like producer guy and says. You tell the affiliates they have three minutes to jump on board. As if it's like like he's in the White House, you know, like talking to his general. It's like these are TV producers. Yeah. You tell the affiliates we have three minutes yep. to get this. Everybody has lines. The janitor, <laughs> the guy who plays the janitor in the basement of the airport has a ton of lines. Yes. Uh, so, that yeah, the dialogue was just like bam, bam, bam for, for two hours. It became more of a – this film to me became – and this is not a bad thing, but it was more of a cartoon, I thought, than the first one. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like it was once like a regular, normal Christmas eggnog, Christmas tree, little turkey. But no, I gotta crawl around this motherfucking can. <laughs> he just narrating. Uh, he, he does narrate. That, that's exactly right. He oh, narrates. Man. Oh, no, I got to do this thing And now. in the first one, I was oh, in God. Nakatomi Center. Yep. <laughs> if you didn't see that one, you should rent it on VCR, but I'm going to explain part of it to you so that you're fully aware of what the, what I did in the first one. So now you're going to be up to speed. How did I wind up on the wing of this airplane? Does anyone, in that moment of crisis, the when you're like, <laughs> you're trying to thwart a terroristic plot, you're freezing your ass off, and you're maybe about to die yourself. Do you take the time to out loud verbalize your situation or do you just keep no, that? No, but he's narrating the whole he's literally narrating the whole film. Oh man, I'm about to get T-boned by a semi. This is going to be terrible. Now <laughs> I'm running down a runway to try and save a plane that's probably not going to be savable with some type of flare that I have developed. It's McLean. Uh, all right, what was your favorite part about Die Hard 2, Judd? The dialogue was, I thought, funny. Uh, I like that. But my favorite part was actually a killing scene. Because here's the thing about this film. Good, good they scenes. find more ways to kill people in this film, I think, like constructive ways than any film. Mm-hmm. Like, they, find they they shoot them, they stab them, they ice pick them or icicle them in the eye. Like, they find different ways. But my favorite one that I thought was actually constructive was the early on ambush of the SWAT team. Yeah. When when they're going up the escalator and the guy stops it and the guy and and the good the SWAT guy tells the bad guy, turn this thing back on. What the hell are you doing? And he just turns around and goes, you're sitting ducks and just starts blowing them away. (laughs) Um, I actually thought that was pretty good because there were some killings that I was like, yeah, okay, all right now. But that one was my favorite killing scene. And then my favorite thing was the fact that throughout the film the dialogue is hilarious yeah. uh Declan your favorite part uh Dennis Franz easily Dennis Franz is the incompetent hilarious airport cop like it's not Paul Blart mall cop status but he thinks he's like <laughs> the, the the man in charge and it's like you're the airport policeman like you're nearly not that big of a guy and then also uh when I was growing up there was like small moments where I had to make sure we didn't make a single sound in the house. It was when HBO programming was on for like Six Feet Under and Sopranos and Deadwood. And the other one was NYPD Blue. <laughs> so I, I have a 
I, like some of my earliest memories are Dennis Franz on the TV, and also me and like making me and my brother making sure we are not to make a single sound because if a fork drops in the kitchen, it was DeathCon One from my father, who loved all these shows and loved Dennis Franz especially. Uh, but I just love Franz's dialogue with him the whole movie. I love that he's an incompetent, basically mall cop. He's my favorite part of the film. Easily is he the most incompetent cop you've ever seen in a movie? Well, that's the best. Like, is he? An actual cop, or is he like one of those rent a cops? Like, no, at, he's an airport he's, cop. Yeah, he's, he's an, an airport cop. cop. He's an actual cop. Okay. Yeah, and he leads the force. His um, instinct is wrong at every <laughs> turn of this movie. <laughs> he During is, a key crisis he, at an airport, he is the most incompetent cop with with actual uh, in the movie responsibility. <laughs> yeah, be, be, because 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 the diehard one cop was incredibly incompetent himself, but that was more just like he's outside the Nakatomi Center, right? Yeah, I think Dennis Franz, in the films that we've done, I think he is the most incompetent cop with a huge role, and he keeps screwing things up. Yeah, and he's like, he's he's not just like a paper pusher guy who's mm-hmm. like he's actively incompetently sabotaging. Well, and this get, this is going to get to a whole point I've got about this film, but keep going here. Okay, go ahead. I think my favorite part about this movie is. The terrorist plot plan, <laughs> okay, and how, okay. <laughs> like, I, I just, I, I love it for its simplicity. I love it for its flaws. I just want to take you guys through this plot, and I want you guys to help me figure out, like, where does this plot rank in terms of great terrorist plots? We've done The Rock, mm-hmm. where their terrorist plot was, let's take over the abandoned Alcatraz. And let's have missiles that will threaten to fire and kill people in San Francisco, right? Like, there's some some great plots. That's a good plot, but it's a weak leadership in The Rock. It is. It's it fake. Is. It's and fake what, leadership. And what you're going to get to is not weak leadership. No, it is not. It is well. It is. It's, it's very dangerous leadership. So the idea here is to take command of air traffic control at a massive airport. By the way, from a church just outside of the airport's grounds, too, which is funny. Like, they brought yeah. all this computer equipment in, presumably yeah. How in like did two they hours. set up that set center? It it's an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredible feat. I mean, this is 1992. Yeah, no. It wasn't as easy, probably, no. as it might be now. Like, they couldn't just bring, like, a few Surface Pros and set well, up they, and like, no, some Wi-Fi, no, you know? They, they had an actual they, air control and center. And did we, we didn't have Wi-Fi in the no. early 90s, so they presumably... They turned like an abandoned church. They hacked into the they hacked into the system though for, through the airport. Yeah, right. And yeah. then they like wired and, it. And they you didn't they didn't really explain that that church was the grounds of of the old communication tower until like right. an hour that's and a true. half into the movie because that's what it's like. Why, how is this even a thing? And then they yeah. explained it You're later. Right. And then and then the idea <laughs> to hold all of the inbound planes hostage by shutting off the runway lights so they can't land and cutting off the communication so they just have to sit up there and run out of fuel. And then you get to make your demands or potentially thousands of people die. Um, I think the like to me, the flaw in the plan, and it turned out to be their fatal flaw in the movie was so they wanted Esperanza's plane to land. They were going to take him out of the plane with the with the corrupt turncoat uh, Marines or Army guys, whatever it was. And then they had a 747 that was fueled and ready to fly away. And my question was like. Where were they planning on just flying to right. without the U.S. military, you know? Oh, this is what catching I bring them up. at some point. Like, mm-hmm. so, yes. so their plan was, their plan was, we may or may not kill several hundred people and draw a ton of attention to where we are right now. We're going to grab this dictator, 
And then we're just going to jump into a 747 and like Barbados, fly right? to the Baham- to Barbados yeah. and hang out. Yeah, they're just going to take off. Yeah, with no like the the, the Air Force wasn't going to track you down. This or is anything. what I want to ask you. <laughs> I need to know like what would have we need an alternate ending of like if they would have flown away. Like, yeah. did no, they just get no, away? You're like, not, no, no, you're not supposed to ask that question though. It, it became very clear you're not supposed <laughs> to ask that question. So, all right. Well, what what was your? Did you have a, a take on this or? Uh, yeah, but it, it's going to tie into my least favorite part just as far as like i'm willing to go along with you know these plots and they make no sense at times and that's fine uh but playing off your plot okay let me go through here what had what had gone on here so terrorists basically um divert where the control tower will be they as you said phil shut off all the lights runways disabled basically yep they essentially cause a passenger plane to crash spectacularly and blow up. They have planes circling. They have the air traffic control people in a complete panic. It is clearly a terrorist plot of the highest order, and no one else helps but one group of of what turns out to be crooked Army guys, yeah, like nobody. <laughs> like, like, there's like, like eight army guys. Like it's like, Bruce Willis. Uh, it's Christmas Eve. The army is celebrating with yeah. their family. Sorry, and eight army guys, and no one else shows up at the air. Like there's no FBI. I don't think there's no there. You, you would send you would send everybody, and they send a crooked group of army guys and John McClane. Also, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think at some point? I don't. Wouldn't you send as many people as possible out with like? flashlights or like like okay how can we light up the runway my other question is they were very the terrorists were very clearly waiting for a low visibility mm-hmm. snowstorm of some kind okay were were they just like on standby on the rare occasion oh, that there's a blizzard even, in Washington DC I didn't even think of this question because if if there's not low visibility <laughs> you probably still land the plane right like because you can probably see the ground to some extent yeah. like it makes it it made yeah. it even harder with no lights and low visibility because of the snowstorm and I think they alluded a couple times to like, uh, it's a really, really rough weather out there. Yeah, it is. This is great for us. So were they like, did they check the forecast three days before and see, oh well, man. And as you said, this, this, this snowstorm hits Washington, which is, you know, not the norm certainly. And so now they just get fortunate and they don't try and close the airport down. They just keep, I mean, yeah, the whole thing, but how do you just have one group, one group show up to help out? And McLean, and that's it. It's Christmas Eve. No one else is coming to help us out. It's Dennis Franz actively trying to sabotage. Yes. It's it's John McLean randomly there waiting for his wife, and then a bunch of corrupt army rangers. Like, wh- and then, like what? Is the happening? best part is the best part is that this passenger plane crashes and explodes, and it's like this impressive scene, right? Yeah. yeah. But meanwhile, you're supposed to believe until Thornburg's report in the airport. Which is right by where the plane crashed. Right, and it's still filled with people celebrating their relatives coming in. Actually, can we get real quick? I'm going to cut in line and least favorite thing because yes, you just segue into it. My <laughs> least favorite thing about this movie: you had a British jetliner. Now they only showed probably like 50 people on this plane, but when they showed the plane from the outside, there's probably like 200. I think he said I have. I think he said I have 200 people on. Or okay, something. yeah, and so. So the sneaky, brutal bad guy move, by the way, like one of the most like efficient ways of killing 250 people that we've maybe ever seen in Action Movie Rewind. Yeah. And, and so they, they reset ground level 200 feet bo- below 
ground level, right? Right. So the so on the computer screen in the plane, the British jetliner guy, who also the the pilot was, I can't remember who that he's guy been is. In a ton of movies. He was in Con Air. Like he's, he's been, been in all kinds of stuff. Ton of stuff. Yeah. And so he, so they hit the ground quicker than they thought, and so the plane blows up. So we have just witnessed two to three hundred people yeah. die in a plane crash. Correct. And yet the end of the movie is this celebration I, of, oh, my I've, God. I've got that in my oh, notes. I've got that, I've got that in my notes. And this plane, like, where did it go? Like, it's just in pieces. They didn't shut the airport down. But what I love is all of the people in the airport, like, celebrating until Thornburg's report. Like, Thornburg's report triggers this mass chaos, right, not this jetliner crash. So, so all, the, all the people that are sitting in the airport that don't know that anything's wrong, and there's, and they, I think they said there's like ten or 15,000 people in the airport or something. They're all looking out the window. Yeah, they have to None of them saw that well, plane crash and go up in flames. And wouldn't Why? you hear, wouldn't, I mean, it exploded yeah, like six times. You'd, you'd feel it. it. You'd, you'd, you'd hear when planes land at the airport. Yeah. yeah. So if you had a, a jetliner... Crash on the runway. I think that you'd be aware of it, but I love how they the airport's still filled with people at a, at restaurants eating and watching the news where Thornburg comes on. Sorry, it, no, it's just it's great. hilarious. And just it, great. I, and I just I, I I can't get over like you know the end of the movie is just it's it's Dennis Franz like hey gonna rip up yep. your pocket ticket over the way of the outside. <laughs> Fred Dalton Thompson, hey! good job, McLean. And there's like barbecued British people just like hundred away. Oh, I know. Well, and and the jet exploded too on takeoff with the bad guys. Yeah. So this, like you've got you've got jets blown up all over this. Uh, I mean, I mean Dulles. seriously, like this was like there were more people were killed obviously in nine eleven, but like it would be like making a movie about nine eleven or something where hundreds of people die in a terrorist attack. Yeah. But oh, we saved that yep. one plane. No, other outside is frightful. Holly like, McLean's Holly McLean safe. That's all we really care about. Bye. See you. See you for Die Hard three. Oh my god. Um, oh, one other thing on the so 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 John McClane blowing up the terrorist plane yeah. lights the runway, and so you do see like you've got the blown up plane wreckage, and then you've got like the strip where he has the gasoline right. But the blown up plane wreckage kind of shows you like where you should land. Yeah. Why didn't the first plane blowing up act as the same thing? Right. The first plane blowing up is also like a flaming, tattered, like like planes are landing because, oh, we see a fiery wreckage, and so we can hit the runway, right? I don't know. I don't know. Declan, your least favorite part about uh, Die Hard. My, my least favorite part is I, I did not appreciate. I wanted more connection with the bad guys from the first to the second. So, like, they, they just basically make, make up a whole new set of bad guys. Well, for, the, the, for first, the, the first set are dead. Right, but I, there has to be some type of like people that still want to carry out his like Hans Gruber's plan and that kind. Of, like, I wanted some type of connection from the bad guys from a, from original into a sequel. Uh, the second thing is I want to know, and this isn't really like a least favorite part, just like a nitpick. How come we've gone backwards in terms of airplanes and cell phones? Like in in, in 1990, you could call someone from the airplane. Down, down to the ground. And it was like four bucks a minute or something. Yeah, and it was, it was just probably ridiculous. Expensive. Oh, no, but that's not. Uh, you know what? I think that was a flaw. Um, you could call people from airplanes with the airplane, but it had. It was in front of your seat. Yep. Like the Thorn, the Thornburg thing, I don't think it's possible. Because like he goes in a bathroom and it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. cell phone hookup. Uh, I think that was BS. I just think it's a little weird that like we used to be able to call people on the cell phone. 30 years ago, and now we there is no oh, you way can, you cannot do it anymore in 2020. I don't understand it. No, 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 that but that's wrong. You you could call people from the phone in front of you in the seat, but it was connected. 
Sure. That's, but, but still. But there's that, no cell phone. There, that, that was I know that. licensed. My point is you can st- you could have made a collect call from the, air, from the airplane at 10,000 feet, right, in 1990 with a corded phone. I know it was a corded phone. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you could. I I'm don't pretty, know for I'm pretty sure, sure you could because I remember, like, the phones being on airplanes and stuff. I, I have memories of that. But I, and now you can't do it. It just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. Yeah, but now you can you get free uh, iPhone messaging. You just text people. Cool. Oh my god. Thanks, Delta. A like I, I just I, I would rather be able to, to do that can, also. Can we can we spend a minute on Dick Thornburg for a second here? Because I feel like Dick Thornburg is portrayed wildly incorrectly in these two movies. Okay. So yeah, Whoa, he's okay. he's kind of got this despicable personality and he's very arrogant and, and also very insecure. And then there's the whole like Holly Gennaro punches him out at the end of Die Hard, and so he we learned that he had filed a restraining order against Holly, and mm-hmm. they're on the same plane together. But let's not ignore the fact that Dick Thornburg is a great reporter. This guy's showing up in Die Hard 1 yep. to the home of the family yep. that has people in that building, and he's trying to get thoughts from, I think, the grandma and the kids, right? And here he is on the plane. He's tapped into... The pilot communication to communicate this terroristic attack to the public. Yep, and he, he's doing his due job as a journalist in America and gives a and report that goes on forever. He's vilified for reporting the news. Also, I want to throw in in terms of great reporting in this movie, Samantha Coleman, local TV news reporter. Okay, yep, she's on the site of the blown up jetliner, like fifty feet yep. behind. I don't know how she got access no to be idea. out there on the runway. I mean, the Vikings won't even let you watch like team practice for God's sakes, and Samantha Coleman's out there fifty <laughs> feet from like three hundred dead uh, British flyers. Um, and then at the end, she's like, she's got she's got the footage of John McClane and his wife and stuff. So I just want to say, yes. Flawed personality, Dick Thornburg, but great reporter, and it should not go ignored. The Samantha Coleman report from the runway is also hilarious because she's standing in front of a plane on which 200-plus people have died, and she's happy. She's very cheery. She's yeah. like, oh, I'm Samantha know, Coleman I'm here Samantha on the Coleman. scene. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. There's a charred uh, hand behind okay. me over here. And where, and where she and McLean simply walk into the airport control tower is hilarious, yeah. too. Like, they take... They they like gain right. access to it like it's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> just, just a in nineteen ninety that was difficult. They're just a reporter sitting. Hey, up. what's going on up here? What's uh, hey? What's going? You you got some problems. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was you could. Here's the thing about this this uh, the first two diehard films. Mm-hmm. If you are not a McLean, you are liable to be mocked no matter how well you try to do your job. I mean. Dennis Franz was trying, man. He's the airport cop security head, right? But he gets mocked. Uh, Thornburg, Dick, he's trying to do his job, but he gets mocked, right? Samantha Coleman gets told to F off. A couple times. It's very clear that if you are not a McLean, you are liable to be yeah. mocked. Uh, other things that we have to note here. Actually, you know, I want to add a new question to the, to the, okay. we have like four or five questions we ask here, right? We've got the, we'll get to the bad guy rankings. This is a question I think you guys always chide me for, like, not fully buying into the fiction, right? Yeah. Like, like in speed. I don't understand how you'd be able to keep that thing going 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So I want to add a new question to these action movie reviews. What was the least believable thing in this movie? Oh, I've got it, I've got it right here. I in fact, two. I wrote it down. I took a lot of notes. Love this film. This is great. T- took a ton of notes. So many things. Go ahead, John. My number one is this one. 1990 special effects. They actually did some good things here, okay? But my number one 
is when McLean is in the military airplane and they're all tossing <laughs> grenades in. And yes. by the way, <laughs> nobody misses. Nobody misses. Yeah. And and he also has time to like process with like cartoonish oh. reactions. Oh man! Oh, oh no. my God! Oh no! There's oh, no. nine grenades oh, no. in here. <laughs> but but first of all, how many grenades do they need and have? Oh, right. and by, by the way, that's plane three that is blown up. Right. While 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 we're still a functioning airport, um, everyone at the airport bar is like just enjoying their cocktails. Like, see these like you said, happening. oh the weather outside is right. Boom. Um, so, but the special effect when he ejects himself. And like and like ejects himself above the explosion mm-hmm. is so unbelievable. Yes. And not great. I mean it's so Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Well and and it, but it, they didn't even have they didn't have the capability to do it well. Yeah. So they should have been like, We got a lot of, you know, good special effects here. Let's let's bag that one. Believe. They didn't. So that to me and then how he just sort of ejects himself. He like flies up in the air above the explosion, but not too far. But he has enough time to get the parachute out to descend like right by where the explosion was. But the parachute would have done nothing because like he wouldn't have gone that's up my high point. enough. You that's know? my point. But he went high he enough. He would have died. He went he went well and he also would have been charred to a crisp. <laughs> but anyway, that's my I've got two least believable things, all right? <laughs> so you know they part of the plot was let's stage a gunfight to throw everyone off and we'll have we'll just have guns with blanks and those will have blue tape and the guns with actual rounds will have red tape. So McLean's trying to explain to Dennis Franz. It's like the night time that McLean is trying to explain to Franz, like, no, something's happening here. And he's like, get out of here, McLean, right? And so Dennis Franz is telling him, like, get the hell out of here. And McLean pulls out one of these machine guns and starts firing in the police office. <laughs> yes. And, and, like, in the moment, you're thinking, oh, my God, he's lighting up Dennis Franz. <laughs> Every cop draws their gun. But no one takes down John McLean in that moment. Nope. Like, if you're telling me that. If a guy pulls out what looks to be a machine gun, you have no reason to think that it's not a live round machine gun right. and starts firing it. Right. That you don't immediately, there's like nine cops that they don't immediately take out their guns and shoot him. I was like, all right. Yeah, all you're right. right. Okay. You're a thousand percent right. And then here's another one, okay? And this is more just like the mystique of John McClane. So how many times have you guys been just sitting at the airport? You're grabbing a, a you're grabbing a beer before you board your flight mm-hmm. and you just, you see random people with packages and stuff and they're going around. <laughs> yep. Now, John McClane's in the hotel airport, and he sees a couple guys in a packed airport. Yeah. A couple guys stand up and start walking and immediately thinks, those guys look suspicious. Yep. I'm going to follow. follow those guys. I'm going to follow them. <laughs> follow like, them. Is his radar that honed? <laughs> right. Or does he just like well, follow a ton of people at airports to make sure that they're not terrorists? And mo- moments before, he hadn't even been smart enough. To and by the way, he was going to wait for his wife like for a long time. Like he was going to be sitting at that bar for a long time. He hadn't even been cognizant of the fact that you don't park in a no parking zone right in front of the doors of the airport, yeah, and he got on. his car towed. <laughs> right. So, so it's like he goes from well, I guess I parked in the wrong place to that guy's for sure a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> which which I which I became more and more convinced was all part of why the film was so funny. Because they just like mm-hmm. didn't they're just like, oh, it's got holes in the there. Uh Casino Royale does the same thing where like and James Bond is a trained 007 agent. So he's more trained to spot shady people than like <laughs> a random cop from, you know, New York. But like James Bond does the same thing in Casino Royale where it's like Ooh, that guy walking into the security area looks like he could be a terrorist. I'm gonna right. follow him. Like, all right. Um Couple other things before we get to, um, I we got okay. This is the one thing that please, we haven't gotten to. Please mention the fight on the wing. 
Well, I was gonna, yeah, well, I, I, have... I was going to mention the foreshadowing to the fight on the wing, okay. which okay. is the very beginning of the movie where Colonel Stewart is doing naked yoga in his living yes. room watching CNN. <laughs> so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's it's shot right, so it's not like you see any crucial He's, parts of Colonel uh, Stewart. You see a lot of a lot of backside, yeah. a lot of backside. Yeah, but I mean that's fine. And so that was the precursor, so you knew, okay, this guy's a fighting machine. And then he busts out those moves that he was using naked in front of CNN on John McClane yep. on the wing. Yep. Great Just stuff. quickly too. The the uh, McLean thing. So so John parks his car in the wrong place. It gets towed, and then to Phil's point, says, "But those two look suspicious in this massively packed airport." Holly McLean in the plane as it continues to circle, asking the stewardess, "Are we going to run out of fuel?" Is another <laughs> great about, like, like, about that? that's what you think about. Like I get what <laughs> like, you you're smart about enough? that. Our no. flight's being delayed a little bit. Oh my god, are we going to run <laughs> no. out of fuel? Like I've thought about turbulence problems. I've thought yeah. about lots of bad things that can happen. <laughs> but I've never. But I love how the McLeans are these home trained. This home trained couple. They just they sense yes. everything. Do we have enough fuel to make it? It's amazing. Oh, anyway, uh, would you bite off a guy's finger? Ever? No. Would you have in, in any circumstance? I would find a different way. Because <laughs> I wrote it down. I was like, I th- that part was extremely uncomfortable. I don't even think I'd think about trying to bite off someone's finger, to be honest with you. Yeah. Also, in the age of the pandemic, with that insane crowded airports, do you guys miss crowded airports at all? No. No, not at all. And it's funny, like, in crowded no. airports, but the way airports used to be. This is a great The Way Airports Used to Be movie. Yeah. And one of them is just people just lit cigarettes up yeah. everywhere. Yep. Like, oh, I'm just going to hang out here by this TSA agent that's hitting on me and asking me out to dinner, by the way. And there were yeah. two parts then, too, right? Like you <laughs> w- walked in and there was a security checkpoint, but everyone could go through it. Yeah. So, like, there could be a restaurant here and a restaurant there, and <laughs> they weren't um, they weren't cordoned off. So, but no, I do not miss, especially Christmas time, I do not miss for one second crowded airports. Yeah. Uh, one other great line in this movie before we get to the definitive bad guy rankings. By the way, we're if you know, you, on air production meeting. You might want to tell Courtney five more minutes. Okay. Yeah. I said we're going to be five, ten minutes late. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we're doing a deep dive yeah. into Die Hard 2. <laughs> we'll talk Vikings You know what? We can little, do the Vikings uh, some other day. Yeah, I don't yeah. really care. That'll right be on now. Purple Daily, by the way, if you're listening to this, yeah. Maggie and Judd. Um, so old guy in the church, when the terrorists mm-hmm. start to feel out what's happening in the church. I love that line. The old guy goes, kind of feels like a piece of me is dying along with this church. Right and the up. terrorist goes, well, you're right about that. Yeah. And shoots him. And I'm wondering, were they planning on letting that guy live longer? But then the terrorist is like, oh, the one liner was there. I had to kill him. You wouldn't believe what this guy said. He was. I had to kill him. <laughs> I thought that he, he would get killed quickly from yeah. the moment I saw him yes. okay. watching TV. Easily. Like, <laughs> He looked his, like drinking his soup. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just the type of guy you got to kill. Yep. All right, definitive bad guy rankings here. So I think we have to go a combination of Colonel Stewart and General Esperanza as kind of a tag team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you guys disagree. That's fine. I mean, fine. Colonel Stewart's running the operation, but General Esperanza is sort of the overlord of all of this, right? Uh, so where would you guys... Uh, Hans Gruber is number one on our list from the original Die Hard. Michael come. Myers, Halloween. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. They're definitely not on that level. Nope. Mm-hmm. Which is what probably separates Die Hard the original from Die Hard 2. But I do think if we're looking at they're not iconic really, so that's that's that part of the problem. Them. But they are ruthless. Yes. And it's not like the rock where they're just sort of fake terrorists. Now these guys killed a like two hundred people on a British jetliner. They're yeah. middle of the pack to me. Lessons. Are they I'll go through some of these here as we get to like the fringe of the top ten. We've got Ivan Drago. I think Drago's way more iconic. You've got the Russian mobsters from John Wick. I might put these guys above the I Russian I put them mobsters. above them. 
Yeah. Dennis Hopper from Speed is in this mix. I really like Dennis Hopper. Bodie from Point Break. Dom from Fast and the Furious. Victor Maitland from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Oh, Victor Maitland. Um, I think Drago's probably the, where the bar should be. You should for be, Iconic? You should be higher. Yeah, you shouldn't be I'd higher. I'd agree with that. Drago. Yeah. Yep, that's fine. Is he above or below? Are these guys above or below Victor Maitland from Beverly Hills Cop? They're I'd say above. probably... Do you think above? I think above. I I put them slightly below, but I, I mean, okay. it, but I think it's it. I think they're slightly below. These, Let's put them right below. These right terrorists below. are not iconic. Yeah, like they're good. We'll put them right next to Paul Here's Giamatti's character from Shoot 'Em Up. I got a guess here. I bet you when Bruce signed on to do this, he said, "I got to be the star here," because Die Hard. You could make a great case that it, it was, oh, Bruce was great, but, but, right? Yeah. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, he was paid $7.5 for this job. He was like 20% was, of their budget or something. Easily, Or yeah. ten, whatever. So, yeah, yeah, so you couldn't afford a mm-hmm. so we're So we've guy. got these guys as the 13th ranked villains out yeah. of like 35 movies. That's very fair. And that brings us to the 1 through 10 rating system here. Uh, Die Hard, the original, and Halloween are the only two perfect 10s we have agreed upon. Taken, John Wick, Commando, Beverly Hills Cop are all a nine or above. The Fast and the Furious, The Expendables, Top Gun, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, and Bad Boys and Independence Day and Point Break are all eight or above. The worst movies we have reviewed, Shoot 'em Up, Bloodsport, Mad Max 2, Wanted, Rambo 3, and Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. One through ten, Judd Zilgat. I'm going to give this uh, a, a sequel that I thought was slightly too long, but it was still fun, but it certainly was not Die Hard. I'm going to give it a seven. Whoa! That's a, I felt. I feel like yeah, I might be a little be bit low there. Oh, I thought he was going. I thought he was going to have it lower. Really? Yes, I thought he was. It, it was. Well, I could have. I could have easily gotten this film shorter. Uh, yeah. But the cartoon thing was fun, and and it was so implausible that eventually I just said, uh, "What the hell?" But you know what? For a sequel, it was fine. But it was a sequel. Like yeah, I do. I do. I do not want to confuse this with my love for the cinematic experience that was <laughs> Die Hard. So, yeah. My, it's a seven for me too. I, I think it's an enjoyable movie. Um, there's plot holes. It, it's very much a sequel on brand sequel movie where there's it's a little over the top. There isn't a good connection from the first one, but they still make up for it with hilarious special effects. There's a group of terrorists who are pretty pretty menacing and 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 terrible people. I give it a solid seven. It's a seven out of ten. So I I love this movie and I actually like this movie in some ways better than the original Die Hard. It's just a great Sacrilege. sequel. Sacrilege. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this rating a little bit and give it a nine. It doesn't oh. have it doesn't have a Hans Gruber, but it has everything else. If wow. you put Hans Gruber into this movie, it's a ten, just like the original Die Hard. Okay. So I'm giving it a nine, which means it's a seven point seven. It ranks middle of the pack. It's basically like right in the middle. It's right above Lethal Weapon and right below Code of Silence for us here. Okay. So there it is. Die Hard two. Die Hard two. All right, so we put four movies up for vote every single week, one from a listener and then one from all three of us. The listener nomination, I'm going to go Demolition Man. Demolition Man was recommended by a listener. I believe that's Wesley Snipes, right? Okay, 1993. I think that was a Wesley Wesley Snipes. Oh, it was a Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes. Oh, wow, nice. Sandra Bullock, too. Dennis Leary. Wow, good cast. All-star cast. So De- De- Demolition Man. All right. And then uh, Judd Zolgad, you, you go ahead and throw yours out. I'm going back to my Seagal well under siege for a second consecutive week. <laughs> under siege. I think it came in second last week. We'll see if it comes in first this I think time. it's coming second back-to-back weeks. Well, I'm just going to keep throwing it out. Keep going, Doug. I'm going to keep throwing it out. Why not? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the old school one. 
I'm going with Dirty Harry from 1971 with Clint Eastwood. Wow, dude. I love I usually am the guy who I'm I love that choice. I'm shocked by I, this. I usually am the modern 2000s plus uh, yeah, no action kidding. movie guy. I don't like watching the old ones. I've never seen Dirty Harry, and I love Clint Eastwood. So, Dirty Harry. Holy cow. Make my day. Um, I almost like... I almost want to punt my. I, I love the three that we have here. Punt. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out there. Okay. I'm gonna throw one out there just for fun here. Okay. I'm gonna throw out. Oh man. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with another. I'm, all right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm sorry. This is great. Let's go to the Marine with John Cena. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> oh wow. And and if you know and, and if if Marine. somehow the Marine with John Cena wins, then it'll still be an enjoyable experience. I but, hope. Uh, I hope Declan wins. <laughs> I I'd, do too. I'd, I'd love too. to do Dirty Harry a review of that uh, Dirty Harry. So there it is. That's cool. Action Movie Rewind. Mackie and Judd and uh, Die Hard Two is in the books. They're talking to us on our own goddamn system. They got to be close. I'll have my men tear this airport apart. Just in the nick of time, huh? Hey, McLean, I got a first-class unit here, SWAT team and all. We don't need any Monday morning quarterbacks. Monday morning, my wife's on one of the goddamn planes these guys are with. That puts me on the playing field. And if you'd have moved your fat ass when I told you to, we wouldn't be hip deep in shit. Right, that's right. it. Security, you're out of here. So, <laughs> Mr. Trudeau, do I have to remind you about FAA regulations regarding unauthorized personnel in the control tower? All right, Pat, we're going to get your full round two NBA draft recap here in just a little bit, but... The Minnesota Vikings have a chance to get back to 500. They got the Cowboys. Judd and I are drawing parallels to the to the Randy Moss Cowboys uh, checklist game. The the Cowboys took Ceedee Lamb over Justin Jefferson. So, do you feel like the Vikings are about to embark on a playoff run, or do you feel like they're going to get slapped in the face here at some point with one of these home games? Uh, well. No, I think they're going to uh, be seven and five. Yes, I do. I think they're going to have a nice little three-game winning streak here, and to be seven and five, they're playing very well. The defense has come out of its coma. Uh, that said, I was I saw it. I, I got to confess to you, fellas, I had to look this morning to see who they were playing, and this has got to be the first time the Dallas Cowboys have come to town. And I know there's no fans, so that changes things, but. If if this was a regular season and with people coming, this still would have been the lowest uh, energy arrival of the Dallas Cowboys in 50 years. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's unbelievable. I, you know, the, the most famous game of the of the strike year uh, was what, 82, right? The strike year? That was one of them, the yeah. strike year? Yep. Remember the Monday night game that came back, Dorsett ran 99. Phil yep. doesn't, but Judd does. At the Dome. Dorsett ran 99 yards. That was basically, okay, this season has been all screwed up. It's terrible. But now all the old excitement was back because they beat the Cowboys in the game when Dorsett ran 99 yards for a touchdown, and it was a great game, and everything was hopping. And now you got this corpse coming to town, and it's it's amazing. Even if even if the if there were sixty thousand people there on Sunday, it would I mean they'd be having fun. But to see the Cowboys run out there as a bunch of mutts is just really uh, amazing. And what's this? They have not been in the conference finals since they beat Denny down there uh, in what ninety five or six. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep, I think that's right. Yeah. It's astounding what's happened to that franchise. And uh, they still are 
Doesn't Forbes still make them the most valuable team in American sports? Yeah. I think they do, right? That's Were they $4 billion or something? Yeah. Something crazy? Yeah. Ridiculous. I, I don't think anybody can get the same number of billions in sports today as they could have uh, eight months ago. I, I don't believe that because of this, uh, because of what's going on with us here. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, you know, the Vikings have had the easy schedule now after having a little bit of a tougher schedule now uh, earlier. But uh, you look at them now and it looks like a football team. And one, one big reason is the offensive line. And the other is, uh, you know, okay. They, they lost both their pass rushers and all of a sudden this Wanham shows up and uh, you know, that they got three young guys playing the, the defensive ends and those guys are doing fine. It's uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. If they, I think they're still weak in the middle of the line, in the middle of the defensive line. They, I don't think there's much in there. But uh, if you can't run again, if you if you load up the box like they did against the Bears, and uh, take away the run, and you still can't pass against them, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, and I'm still not completely convinced, Patrick, that that uh, McCarthy is going to be safe. I know it's one year. But I don't trust Jerry not to completely freak. I mean, this team is bad, and they look lifeless. And I don't trust Jerry not to uh, pull the plug on McCarthy after a year. He's one guy I wouldn't trust. Well, here's the thing about Jerry. This team is absolutely pathetic, and if they win two in a row, they could be leading the East. Oh, (laughs) I know. Philly, how about the Eagles? The Eagles are pretty good. They go out and get slapped around last week by who? The Giants beat them. The Giants in their own right. division. Oh, the division's awful. Yeah, the Giants aren't out of it. They're three and seven. We wanted to fire everybody. They're three and seven. If they get the seven and nine is going to win that division, and six and ten might get you a tie. Home playoff game too, Pat. A home playoff game if you yeah. win that division. That's my favorite thing. They still have that stupid rule. It's uh, you know, and the, the a prime example of that is when the Saints went up and got beat by that seven and nine Seattle team when Seattle was just starting to get halfway decent. How about uh, watching them? Uh, they held somebody to twenty. They held Arizona to twenty one points last night. That's a shock with that defense they have. Yeah, they, uh, but they they came out and ran the ball. They went. They kind of did what the Vikings have. Uh, you know, done. They went back to a run of the ball, so they didn't have to expose their defense as much, and they ran the ball fairly effectively. So uh, I watched bits and pieces of that game. I wasn't exactly fixated on it. But. You know, I just, while you guys were talking, because, Pat, you mentioned this is the most nondescript Dallas Cowboys arrival to to Minnesota maybe ever. And yeah. so I, I think, I'm just going through pro football reference here, I'm looking at all these games. So they, the the Cowboys have come. Uh, let's see here. 2016, they came to Minnesota. 2010, four. The uh, the only game that maybe rivals it because all the other games have like Troy Aikman as the starting quarterback or Tony Romo, Dak Prescott in 2016. There was an opening week one game in 2004, I believe, between the Cowboys and the Vikings, in which Vinny Testaverde was the starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And the Vikings Hell won yeah. that game thirty-five right. yeah. to seventeen, and yeah. it was just a crappy Cowboys team. Other than that, you you go back basically to the sixties, and it's Staubach, it's Danny White, Tony Dorsett, it's Troy Aikman. Like this, but there was the one random year sixteen years ago where like fifty-year-old Vinny Testaverde came walking and, into the Metrodome. Yeah, That's right. 
And you know what's amazing? When did TV decide to make them American? I mean, they, they started calling themselves American America's team. team. But when did, when did TV jump on that bandwagon? 70s, right? When C- CBS had the rights liked, and Summerall. They liked the uniform. Yeah. They produced good ratings. They were very popular in Vegas. I know that, betting-wise. But why why did they suddenly see, seize that this, you know, and they, what, they, you know, back in the day, Summerall and Madden did all their games. Actually, right? you know what, Pat? No, Summerall and uh, Brookshire did all their Actually, games. Pat, the, the, the uh, Staubach to Pearson pass at Met Stadium probably helped solidify that big time. Yeah, I think it was before then, though. I really do. I think it was. I mean, they were, when they were emerging, uh, I don't know. There was something about the stars, and they got the national audience, and they had the goofy, you know, the African-American insane gentleman that was riding around on his phony little kid's horse and stuff. I mean, it's, but but they they gave them the advantage of playing the, the three o'clock game all the time. Yes. And the other thing is, you know, Thanksgiving was Detroit for a hundred years, right? And that was it. And all of a sudden, somebody at the Cowboys was smart enough. And this was before Jerry Jones to say, hey, we're going to start playing the second game on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, they, they developed that tradition. I think that helped them too, don't you, as far as national yeah. exposure. But it is amazing how, they, I mean, you've turned, if, you, if I accidentally clip on the, click on the NFL Live or something, or one of those shows on ESPN, they spend half the show talking about the Cowboys still. And, and, know, and, how can the Cowboys are still terrible? You know, like there's some, you know, they've been terrible for a, quite a while here now. Yeah, and they haven't, I don't think they've been, they certainly haven't been to the Super Bowl since 1995. Have they won a playoff game since? I don't think they've won a playoff game in like. No, they don't want a playoff. That wasn't, their last playoff win wasn't Danny, was it? No, no, they've had to win. No, the they, 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 they well, they won one going into the Vikes game in 09. So I think, yeah, and, okay. I, and I feel, right. I feel like they maybe have one more in there somewhere. Yeah, so but it's still not good. Not good. Remember the build up to that game, by oh, yeah. the way? 09? The whole thing was the Cowboys were the team on the come. Look yep. out now, baby. The Cowboys are playing great. Yeah. The Vikings beat them for fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they bad, what, 31 to 3 or 30, something? Yeah, them. 34 or something like that. Romo. Like that. Yeah, I mean, it was just an absolute butt kick in that, that Viking team. And, uh, and uh, you know. Yeah, they, so, so in, in, uh, what was the, Oh, they haven't been to a conference finals game. They haven't been to the right. NFC Championship game since 1995. Here's another one. So you yeah. mentioned the, the 3 o'clock games. It does seem like even if the Cowboys are crappy, they're always in that featured 3 o'clock slot. Again, so, this so, time, right? So this year, they have 16 games, obviously. They only play four noon games all year this year, <laughs> which is amazing. The Vikings and the Cowboys have played each other 20 times in the regular season since 1970. Three noon games. Is that right? Three noon yeah. games. The rest yeah, are all three o'clock or prime time. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It's uh, it's it's amazing that uh, you know the Yankees are the now even though they haven't been to the World Series now since 2009, uh, but the Yankees are the evil SOPs of baseball because they win. You know they go to the playoffs every year, right? Yeah. They're there every year. These guys are the are the 
evil SOPs of football for no reason. They're the evil. You know? They're like the evil eight and eight team. You know, marketing. Don't you think? You're right. It's marketing. Don't you think? I think Jones has a lot to do with it too, because he's such a despicable human being. Has got it, so that makes you hate him a little more, obviously. So, but they, uh, but Pat, they're smart because they've always got something. They've always got controversy, or someone's <laughs> getting in a fight, or a coach is screwing. Like that—that's the thing is, they've always got drama, and the networks love the drama. They're a soap opera. Uh, yeah, well, that's 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 true. But the fact that that's Cowboys drama makes it. Uh, makes makes it special in some way but uh yeah i think the, are they smart enough now to be trying to lose the cowboys or not or is jerry still suffering Boy, i don't think jerry can bring himself to try to lose they but sh- at this point they should now, though, right he's pretty old I think he's, he's that's a good 80. question hold on i'll I find he's out 80 now. he's uh but he's still I, I don't know if he still does his post game little corner uh press conference in the locker room after 78 the game. 78 pushing 80 you're right well he's uh he's he's done it down there as far as the marketing you're right i haven't seen that stadium i haven't been in there but uh i guess what what are they if they want to they can put in over a hundred thousand people right because they have to stand in the two end zones and they're putting they're putting i believe they had i think they had like thirty five thousand fans in there for their last home game and he's going to keep that's, keep ramping it up at just COVID. Oh, oh, that's good. Just because just because half the people in Texas have COVID, who cares? Yeah, uh, Pat. I Rick, see my I see my guy from Florida, Rick Scott. He just got it, though. Yeah, he's one. one I saw one Holtz, of many. right? Holtz got uh, it. Holtz Lou, got oh, it. Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz got oh, it. I felt bad. I felt bad about that. I hope he. Uh, I hope he makes it. Tough for Lou. Yeah. You, you, like with <laughs> the only mo- thing that'll shut him up. Uh, <laughs> With most people, you don't want to be within six feet of Lou, Lou Holtz. I might make it twelve feet. Oh, there'd be uh, there'd be spittle <laughs> yeah. flying out wow. continually. It's a very good boy. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Exactly right. Phil Mackey. Exactly right. Pat right. Ricky Ricky Rubio back in Minnesota. Your thoughts? Let's go for it. Why not? Uh, you know, I I was uh, you, you get rid of Johnson. That's what makes it good, right? So you, it doesn't cost you anything because you were on the hook for sixteen million for Johnson and Ricky's seventeen million, right? Yep. So why not? They need another point guard, and uh, he and D'Angelo. D'Angelo, D'Angelo won't admit it, but he's more of a two guard than a point guard anyway. Mm-hmm. But he wants the ball, but that's okay. Ricky's, you know, Ricky will play what twenty eight minutes, and uh, and D'Angelo played. 35 minutes and they'll play 15 of those minutes together. And yep. I think that'll work good. I think it'll be fine. And Ricky's, as I, I said the other day, uh, everybody that asks, you know, how are these two guys going to play together? Rubio figures something out. The sharing the ball is what he does best, right? Yep. So he'll, he'll figure something out. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a good move. And I got him out from under Johnson and, uh, if if people ever return to NBA games, uh, we still love the guy. We still love the guy. And, oh, it'll be a big deal, yeah, with fans, no question. Although I heard I heard some call in some on some show yesterday, and uh, they were talking about how how cute he is. He the cuteness is gone. He's a he's an adult now, man. You were listening uh, to my talk again, Pat. He's a yeah. That might have been Lori and Julia. The mop top is gone now, right? It's more of the. It's a man bun. He's man bun, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's the he's older still got the thing. Man bun? Yeah, I think he does. I mean, he's uh, he's matured. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I looked it up. He's not 
you know, he's not the guy to give the ball to Ricky and let him shoot. But his his shooting percentage, his shooting percentages, and his scoring output have improved the last the last three years are better than anything he ever did here. Yes, I mean he shoots the ball a little better. If you make if you you know because his because obviously his big problem was he's such a great passer, but everybody in a set offense was able to back off him like eight feet and beg him to shoot. If you do that now, he'll stand there and 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 actually stand. He'll stand there and throw up one of those three-pointers and got a chance to make it. I, I think it's good. It's it too. Plus, like, basically their entire roster, now that now that Johnson's gone, is between 19 and 25 years old. And so you do need someone who's been around enough. He's 30 years old. Uh, Ryan Saunders loves him. I, I think the, the thing that we miss the most is he would get one of the great, potentially unwarranted standing ovations from a full Minnesota sports crowd. <laughs> get, get those nine jerseys out of your closet. I'm back. I, I did look up the game where he popped his knee. Yep. Uh, March, March, that season I forgot was delayed. That was, uh, they didn't play their first game till December 26th or something. Yep. Uh, because that was a, there was a still a strike or a, work stoppage going on they had 20,300 and something for that Lakers game the night that he popped his knee and they were 21 and 19 mm-hmm. at that going into that game and they were they had a chance they, they were like tied late in the game and they ended up 26 and 40 uh it's, that's probably the certainly excitement level was the highest but also as far as he was he was really playing well as far as running that offense. He had that team moving up and down the court, and uh, and that that team was playing good. They they probably would have made the playoffs. I think I think forty. I looked that up too. They needed to get to thirty five or something to make the playoffs. That yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how many they had to get. They they would have been on the cusp of making the playoffs, and then he popped his knee. So that was uh, that was a sad night. That whole crowd. I remember going. Ah! Yeah. Garden Colby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gophers Purdue. Who you got? That's right. I forgot about that. Friday Night Football. Uh, Who you got? Is that tonight? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm not. I don't know. I picked the Gophers last week. That didn't work out too bad. What is all these Friday night games? What the the hell? Just get it over with quicker and enjoy your weekend. TV programming is is what it's called. They need programming. And I know the Gophers aren't very good, but the Gophers will move the ball this time, I think. And uh, they got a shot. I don't know. Who knows? Don't forget, it's a building year or something like that. Now, yeah, we've started all over again now, right? Uh, I, I was very surprised that uh, Phil's guy, Phil, has gone to that angle on us. But uh, we're a young team, and uh, by God, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're we're all young, baby. Basically, you know, when you're young and horse bleep, there's a chance that you're going to be experienced in horse bleep too you know that don't you Some of, just because they're freshmen doesn't mean they're going to be good juniors well l- l- let me lay this out for you so year so the first year was year zero um yes. we, then, then year one then then in year two years year year yeah well this is year 2.5 this is year 2.5 year, no last year became we went from zero to one to three last year was three right because <laughs> i mean wow they were they had a great year and then four, uh, I, I don't know what this is. Yeah, probably two and a half. I, I don't know it's it certainly not a Minus 3.7 is what I see this as. <laughs> all, I na- all I know is no matter what complete horse crap Phil throws out there, we're going to get to read it. 
I know that. <laughs> I know that. We're never going to question it. We're just going to offer it up. What, and just uh, to clarify, that's Phil Fleck. Phil Mackey never throws out horse Mackey. bleep ever. No, Phil Mackey has never thrown an idea out there just to create controversy. No. <laughs> Thank oh. God they got rid of that North Carolina game all those years ago, by the way, Pat. It's great. Yeah, right. They replaced right. them with TCU, which was a better team than North Carolina ever was. I, uh, co- I talked to Coach Kill the other day, tried to get a phone number from somebody else. I talked to him for about five, six minutes, and uh, – he was in some kind of a coach's meeting, but uh, says he enjoys Fort Worth. But uh, they've had they've had the bad COVID at TCU, and uh, and he said the league is just screwed up right now. That whole uh, that whole big uh, Big Twelve is screwed up. Can we, as Americans, change the name of the Big Twelve? I mean, the big the 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 Big Twelve since it only has ten teams in it. Can we chip up? Why you is change the, the Big the, Ten the Big as well? Yeah, the Big Ten's farther away big, than that. Why has the Big 12 got 10 teams and the Big Ten's got 14? I, you know, we are screwing up. It's bad enough that young people of this country are ignoring math as far as a, a personal skill and just always look on their computers and, you know, always run calculators. But, you know, we're telling, you know, we got all these dumbass kids down in the Midwest saying, hey, wait a minute. Big 12, but there's only 10 teams. What the, what's going on here? Mom? Keep them on their toes, Pat. I, I got an idea. What if we call one of the conferences the Legends Conference and the other one yes, can be the Leaders that, Conference? Uh, we can be the Legends and they can be the Leaders. But, uh, sure. I don't think, but anyway, it doesn't make any sense. The Haze and the Fleck. Oh, I'm good with that. <laughs> the Schembechler <laughs> yeah, and the Fleck, okay? That, that's true. Okay. All right, good Pat. Enough. We'll talk Bye. to you next week. All right, that's wrapping with Royce. You can find Royce Unchained in podcast form every single Monday. Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. Oh, God. Love, love him. And you know what's funny? Like, just just to, to uh, pull the curtain back. So his phone, obviously, if you've been listening to the show for any number of years, like, his phone sucks sometimes. Like, when it's when it's a phone call. Yeah. And some of it might be just, like, Him taking it away know. from his mouth? We've got, like, a 30-year-old mixing board in the studio. Uh, like, yeah. You know. It's also, I think, he tends to take the phone away from his mouth. That, too. But him jumping into our video chats here it during COVID. Great. The audio's better. We get we get to, you know, look at him. Sometimes we <laughs> post video clips of it. It's great. Modern technology. <sighs> Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. I just love that, that he's concerned about the conference names as part of what America needs to do. Uh, I thought he was going to go in a very different direction right there. I thought we were going to go off on a tangent. No, if I'm Joe Biden, one of the first five things I do is I change the name of those college football conferences. Happy birthday, by by the way. Joe Biden, only 78 today. Is it his birthday today? It's his birthday today. He's only 78 78 years young. Doesn't look a day under 79. Couldn't find a 52-year-old, 51-year-old. I'm available. (laughs) I'd be happy to be president. I would be happy to run the country. Whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, can we all agree for 2024 – just somebody under the age of 90, like, please, someone that doesn't look like they're the crypt keeper on either side would be great. I'm just saying, like, wow, I'm both like, both, I mean, he is 78 years old. So, yeah. all right. That's Who's next? Jerry Jones. He's 78. Oh, God. All right. That's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. Don't forget Vikings vent line on Sunday right after Vikings and Cowboys. And maybe we can get another inspirational Mike Zimmer speech at the Vikings win. So I heard it all week long, right? Oh, and nine on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. You like how this tastes? <laughs>